0: Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from X-Growth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though, let's dive right in.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hoda with X-Growth and today I'm talking to Brandon Redlinger, Senior Director product marketing at Ring DNA about content creation and how can marketers go about creating research-based content that is going to grab attention and add value and turn into something that people actually want to read and consume. On that note, let's dive in. Brandon, awesome to have you here again. Second show that we're doing together. Yeah, so, like, great, yeah, great great to have you. Absolutely. So so let's let's dive into this. Right, for for context as well, I'm going to say I have the, 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 the thickest ebook that I've read was written by Brandon for, for, for whoever's listening. And it was an (laughs) ebook on, on, uh, on account-based marketing. And that is the main reason that I want to have this conversation with Brandon because, you know, you, you created that content and it's really hard to make an ebook that people actually read. Right. I mean, how many I have uh, now I have tons of ebooks on my desktop, Right. That I'll just be like, this is great. I'm gonna read this, and it just sits there, and nothing happens, right? You and so, everyone else, me included, you oh, You know, you gotta gotta got love a a good uh, ebook collection strategy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but let's let's dive in, right? Let's um, first of all, I wanna I wanna ask you, how do you approach content creation? Like, what does that what does that mean for you? Yeah. So content
2: for me is all about providing value to whoever's reading it. Every single word, every single line, every single sentence has to provide some sort of value. The the thing that pisses me off the most these days is when someone is like, uh, no one reads a blog post longer than 500 words these days. No one watches a webinar longer than 30 minutes these days. No one listens to a podcast longer than 20 minutes these days. And all of my experience tells me the opposite. They, they won't listen to podcasts or read blogs that are long if it's not interesting, right? And that's that's my entire content philosophy is it's as long as it needs to be, but no longer, right? You need to be able to get your point across, but don't put any filler, don't put any fluff in there. It all has to be very relevant content. And it shouldn't be any content that I can find in a five-minute Google search, right so though I build everything around those two philosophies for content so I don't give a shit how long your podcast is like uh, some of the some of the podcasts that I listen to are pretty damn long there's a hockey podcast that I listened to the one this morning that I just popped on was two and a half hours everyone knows the Tim Ferriss show right They're known to be two and a half three hours sometimes. Um, right. And it's because it's good, interesting, relevant content.
1: Got it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think we're, a lot of people are guilty of, of adding that fluff in there. Right. And making it, making it a little bit, uh, I I can't find a better word for, for fluff, but, um, let's, okay. Let's talk about the first area that, uh, that, that you would focus on. How do you go about and picking a topic, whether, you know, in the past, like the content that you've done or now at ring DNA, Um, the work that you're doing. How do you, how do you decide on a, land on a a topic?
2: Totally. So content for me is heavily driven by talking with the sales team and also just honestly listening out there, listening on social, listening in Slack communities and really figuring out what, what are, what are the most common questions that I'm getting? And I think, I think that's the perfect place to start. Maybe pop on Quora, go on LinkedIn, go on all your Slack channels and just See, what are those questions that people are asking? And if there's not great content out there, go create it. Or if there is good content out there, but there are still questions coming up, write something similar and then take it to the next level, right? There's there's a concept out there in, in, uh, in content called, uh, what is it called? Skyscraper content. I think Brian Dean of Backlinko originally wrote about it like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago. But I think it's still very relevant. So just... Yeah, I, I think the first place I would go as a marketer would be my sales team. And also like everyone talks about talks about sales and marketing alignment. This is one of those actually practical things that you can do to build a relationship with your sales. Everyone says all these things that and then they turn around and they don't actually do them to get sales and marketing alignment. But this is one of the things that I know works best because I've done it plenty of times before. And here now that I am at a new job at a new company. Uh, doing content um this works just go ask your sales team what are the most common objections that you're getting and then create content to get in front of those objections and then of course you've got to make sure that you're socializing that that sales knows when to use it where to use it how to use it how to find it and then make sure the sales rep knows you created that content based off of his or her direct feedback so that then you get them used to coming to you and say brandon I've got I keep getting this question. We don't have any content out there. What can you do for me? Right. And then that's how you actually have a great relationship with, with sales. Honestly, sometimes like you, you have that content. Actually, honestly, a lot of times, right. You have that content. They just don't know about it. <laughs> so that's why I also really want that's to true. emphasize the point of like socializing that. And like you, you, you have to tell reps, where that content is and how to find it and how to use it multiple times in multiple different channels. So yeah, I've, I've really uh, been working on that lately too.
1: I love it. Yeah, I think that's a probably the most common question uh, marketers to get is, where do I find that? Where is it? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh... yeah, marketers,
2: marketers roll their eyes every time. Hey, do we <laughs> yeah, have this it's
1: content? <laughs> 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 like, yes, I about, gave it what? to you last month.
2: Yeah, exactly. We have a case study yeah, they, for this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's honestly a lot of that is just like training them instead of just sending them the link, slacking them the link or whatever. It's like, hmm, did you check the sales portal under the case study tab or like whatever that might be? Right. Instead of just giving that to them, it's enabling them to go find it so they don't have to come back to you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay.
2: Yeah. It's it. no more like, who's my favorite marketer? Let me go bug them. No more of
1: that. Yeah. That is, that is usually the case, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about research and because I, I you know, I particularly want to talk about research-based content in our conversation today. Mm-hmm. How, how do you start, you know, let's say you've, you've picked your topic. You've, you've had a chat with sales. You've, you know, through whatever step it, it is that you're going through, you've done your social listening, you've listened to customers, what they're saying, objections, yada, yada, yada. You've picked a topic that you, you want to write about. How do you go about doing research on that topic?
2: Usually the the way that I approach it is I'm just going to go read a ton of content that's out there on the topic already. And, you know, and this is largely how I put together a lot of the chapters for that ebook is what's the chapter really mainly talking about. And then I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to do a Google search and I'm going to open, you know, 50 tabs and then start to blow through those, those as quickly as I can and find the best ones and really narrowing it down. And then, you know, once I get to, you know, five, six blog posts that I really like, then it's starting to, to take content. From there, and saying, "All right, um, how do I, how do I make this my own? How do I put my own lens on this? How do I add value to this?" Because I never want to rip anything off of anyone else, right? But the truth is, these days, like everyone's saying, basically the same things anyway. It's all about what unique perspective or what unique value can you bring to that content. So I, I have I have zero problem with saying I grabbed this idea from over here, I grabbed another one from over here, and then maybe I came up with a third way to tie it all all together. I think that's perfectly valid. Like, honestly, most of the ideas that are out there are just, you know, piggybacking off of what someone else said. And I think that's totally fine. Marketers shouldn't worry about that at all.
1: Got it. And do you, you know, do you find yourself reaching out to experts, reaching out to customers, reaching out to people that yeah is that some is that part of your process
2: so i i i do love experts and influencers and subject matter experts absolutely um so if if you do look in either that guide or just of the uh 300 blog posts that i wrote over at engageo a lot of that actually does have quotes mm. so i will uh, yeah i i will reach out to to a lot of industry influencers and say, hey, I'm doing a roundup piece. Um, Here are three questions. And then I'll have three roundup pieces that I can use. But then after that, I can take those quotes and cherry pick those quotes and put it into any sort of content that I'm working on later because hopefully everyone's given me their own unique perspective on things. And I don't have a repeat of the exact same thing every time, because that won't make a good blog post, right? Mm. But depending on who I'm asking, and depending on the answers that they give, that gives me a lot of ammo, a lot of fuel to really help me with all my other content efforts. And at the same time, if someone, if you publish someone's quote, they're more likely to share it on social. So you'll get more eyes, you know, tag them on the post, then your content gets more eyeballs on it.
1: Have you found a strategy that like kind of improves your outreach, like and gets more responses from people that uh, that you're reaching out to? Or is it like, how do you do it? Is it like a simple, hey, I'm writing this piece and I want to get your opinion on question one, two, three. Or do you kind of give them, Maybe it's like a numbers thing. It's more statistical. And sometimes you might be reaching out to people that you don't know. How do you make sure that you get those responses as, as, uh, as, as high of a percentage as possible?
2: Yeah, totally. So the, the the initial outreach usually is something like, hey, I'm writing this blog post on XYZ. Here's where I think you would be a great person to talk with. Looking for a few quotes, and then always always name dropping other people. It's like I'm also talking to you know this person, this person, and this person who'll be included in that too. And like, oh yeah, I'd love to be included in a blog post right beside these other industry experts. So yeah, and it's yeah, pretty simple, but also like don't don't forget to follow up. I, I can't tell you how many people are like, uh, all I do is say, hey, just wanted to make sure you got this. Like you can't do that as a sales rep, right? But you can do that as a marketer. Like, hey, just wanted to make sure you got this. Uh, looking to publish next week. Can you send something over to me? And a lot of times they're like, oh yeah, sorry, I got really busy. Here's the quote. And then after that, it a lot of it is just maintaining that relationship. So whenever that happens, of course, again, tag them on social, follow them on social. And then just every once in a while, if you see them on your feed, hit that like button, make a quick comment. And hopefully it's something interesting and relevant that you have to say instead of just great post or totally agree. (laughs) Right. You know, like actually add to the conversation so that they realize that you do have a lot to contribute, that you are smart. And then the next time you go back to the well, of course they're going to, they're going to say, yeah, I would love to contribute again. So Definitely a big part of it for me at Engageo was just building that ongoing relationship with those influencers.
1: I see, got it. Uh, do you find yourself reaching out to to customers as well, or do you see it as you know the same thing? Like you know, as as maybe reaching out to two hundred people to get like a statistically significant number. Is that something that you've done in the past, or uh, or, or haven't explored it yet?
2: Yeah, you know, honestly I should probably use customers more. Mm. 100%. I mean, of of course I'll I'll use I use them where I can, but at smaller companies like Engageo where we were at like I don't know 260, 270 customers at the time, you know, we we had a lot of asks out to the same customers. So a, any small business, will tell you this too. It's it's like can you give can you give us a quote for a press release or a media mention or Uh, be a reference for this other customer, leave us a G2 review, leave us a a Capterra review, right? So you're asking all these things from your customers and it's like, oh, by the way, can I also get a quote for a blog post that I'm writing? That's probably the lowest on the list, right? Yeah, right. Which is unfortunate, but it's the case. Got it,
1: got it, okay. All right, that's that's valid. That's a very valid point.
2: Or maybe recycle quotes that, that uh, you get in like a Forbes article from a customer or whatever, or, you know, press release, whatever that might be. That, right. That's a, that's something that I'm now just thinking of. You, you got me thinking, I like it, I like it.
1: Yeah, so basically see what they've said anywhere else and then take that and then maybe drop a note as well, just to again, build that build that rapport and say, hey, I, I saw this, that you talked about this, I wanna use this quote, is that okay, right? Is that, is that yep. what you mean? A- absolutely,
2: absolutely. And I will say, the times that I have been able to get cust- good customer quotes and like good case studies and all that, like I, I've built that relationship beforehand. So whether mm. that's, it, you know, Engageo I was a marketer and we were marketing to other marketers. So jumping on calls and saying, Here are some of the best practices, here's how I'm using Engageo. Here's how I'm, I'm using the platform. Here are all the, you know, ABM best secrets and just, building that goodwill beforehand, of course, will make it a lot easier when you do need to make that ask for them to be like, oh, yeah, Brandon, like you helped me a lot. I'm happy to throw you a quick quote. You know, they would feel guilty not to. Yeah. No, I I I don't mean I'm not advocating guilting customers into doing things for (laughs) you, (laughs) but it works.
1: Yeah. And I think you do not from a guilty team. we do a great job at at that in terms of you know you i feel like you you've created a a ver- very very ty- tight uh, tight ty- close and uh, and and robust network of people around you from from where you do and i and i feel like not a lot of marketers do that not a lot of marketers think about building that in their network in the area that they're working or the the space that they're in right and uh and and i've seeing you on LinkedIn and the interactions that you have, you, you put a lot of attention. You give that a lot of attention in order to nurture that, that personal connections of yours, which is really awesome.
2: Yeah. I I think that's one of the best things you can do for your career in marketing. Like just, just hang out with other smart people, try to give back as much as you can. And it will always come back around to you, whether that's looking for another job or getting advice on, I mean, for me, this is something that I do all the time. It's, hey, I've got this new program that I'm working on. I've never done this sort of thing before. Mm-hmm. Um, who in my network has experience here? Reach out to them, jump on a quick call, get some best practices from them. And then, you know, your, your program is off and running. So I, I do have, I, I believe very strongly in building a good network, uh, building those and, and growing those relationships
1: for sure. Yeah. And I love the approach that you take because sometimes when you talk to people about, hey, how do you create, how do you how do you do research content, right? Research-based content. They would say, oh, we would go through a recruiter and they would like be recruiting people that we would be speaking to and we will be interviewing. And it just blows up, like in terms of costs, it blows up yeah. it becomes this, this, this massive giant that you're like, oh my God, I got to create this thing where you're like, Hey, I just, I just reach out to people and say, this is what I'm doing. You want to have a chat? And I do that manually. I was actually having to chat to um, to somebody else and they were like, you know, you know, how, how there are all these cold pitches that you get from, uh, from people on LinkedIn of like, Hey, this is what we do. We are a software development company in India and we can do this for you or whatever it is. LinkedIn, we can get you LinkedIn ads. He said, yep. I, I use a bot and I'm not ashamed of it. I use a bot. And I I put cer- certain filters in it, and f- through my connections, I, I reach out and say, "Hey, this is what this is a this is a research piece that we're doing or we're working on. Would you be interested in commenting on these questions?" And I'll just I'll just automate that and shoot it out. So I'm not pitching anyone, but I'm trying to see who who is interested in giving us feedback, which um, again, really cost effective way, just like you mentioned, of uh, of of getting first party data from experts, uh, which is, uh, which is really cool.
2: Yeah. And, and honestly, like a lot of these relationships, you, you have to be very, very thoughtful, very strategic. There's, I mean, this is more my earlier days at, uh, at Engageo, but, um, we, we really wanted to, um, get in more Forbes articles. So I, I reached out to a writer that wrote about marketing often and I just connected with her and I tried to provide value to her. And, you know, eventually, maybe like two years later, she's like, I'm writing this article. Can I get a quote from John Miller in that? I was like, finally, yes. And then <laughs> she would come back to the well all the time and be like, Brendan, can I get a quote for this? Can I get a quote for this? And then she started writing for Inc. too. And then she started writing. Uh, she was also writing for uh, Huffington Post when that was a thing, when uh, they, they were doing a lot more writing there. So. That, like, again, that was two years, give or take, maybe 18 months or so of building that relationship. And then that, like, to be published in Forbes relatively regularly or Inc. or Fast Company, like, a lot of people pay thousands of dollars per article per mention in an article. Right. And I got that for free just because I offered someone else value because I connected with them and I built that relationship.
1: How did you do it? Take us through what you did over there.
2: Um, yeah, let's see what, what, okay. So yeah, I, I, I did identify maybe five or six, just a handful of, um, writers who wrote, it was mainly it's like Forbes and ink, some of those big ones. Right. Mm. And it was just reaching out on, it was initially, I, th- I think how I did was just reach out on LinkedIn and, um, I sent them a connection request, personalized the note. Some of them got back. Some of them accepted it. Some of them didn't. And then, whenever they popped up on my feed, I made sure to actually have a good, thoughtful, relevant comment on their post. And then, right. And then, over time, they realized, or this one particular, she realized that all I talk about really is like B two B marketing. And she she was starting to um, specialize more in in the ABM space. So when she was like, who knows about ABM and my network who I'm sure she probably knew John Miller and had a big knows he had a big following and everything too. So it's like, what's the quickest path to John Miller? Of course, that'd be me. So
1: yeah, yeah, got it. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. And engagement on LinkedIn. That's big. That is definitely big for, for building relationships. Okay. Yeah.
2: And it's, yeah, again, it's just like build that relationship long-term and, um, yeah and and not everyone is going to reply in fact i mean i only built one real strong relationship with a journalist out of the how many ever that i that i tried to but that one made it well worth it so it's just like think just putting more thought into it being a little bit more strategic with who you're connecting and why you're connecting with them i mean i mean i still have a bunch of relationships that i've reached out i've connected with them i've built relationships with people who are pretty well known that I haven't made any asks yet. Mm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm saving them. They're in my back pocket. I'm saving them, Shaheen. I'm saving them. <laughs> the right moment. I don't know what yet, but that I rainy know day. The, yeah, exactly. My rainy day is going to come anytime.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay. The 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 last question that I want to ask you is about when you're building an ebook. What are usually the external resources that you bring in, right? If you're if you're doing research, do you have like a maybe like a VA? Are there agencies or there contractors that you kind of uh, rely on in order to create a really solid piece of content? What does what does that team look like?
2: Yeah, great question. So I, I get this one relatively frequently. Just content creation in general. I, I don't think you should outsource content itself. I think you can outsource editing, which I I definitely do in like copy editing and full proofreading in those eBooks. Uh, outsource design. Like, you know, we, we had an in-house designer, but he was totally slammed. And those eBooks are gigantic pieces to to edit uh, or to design. I, I think stuff like that, absolutely outsource that and, you know, bring in expertise there. but. The the actual writing of the content, I I really strongly believe you keep that in-house. Like you are the subject matter expert and, you know, you, you know about this stuff more than anyone else. You should at at least, right? Like if you don't, you have a bigger problem, but like you should be that subject matter expert. And if not, then become one. And the only way to become one is by doing all this writing, right? Do the writing, do the research, put all these together. And like a lot of times, like I, I always tell people like in the beginning of their careers, it's better to be prolific than good. And especially early startups too. But as you mature in your career and as your, your uh, startup, your company grows, that actually flips. It's better to be good than it is prolific. So that, that, that's how I think about it. So yeah, for someone like, for any book like that Clean and Complete Guide to ABM, that was, yeah, we, we had a, an awesome firm uh, called Velocity Partners who designed it. They're out in the UK, based in the UK. They did a phenomenal job. I highly recommend them. Uh, we used a few different copy editors on the bunch of different like, Clean and Complete Guides that we've done. But the writing itself, all of that was in-house. I do have I, I had an awesome entry-level marketing person who did a lot of the just like kind of organizing, kind of revising, brainstorming with. And um, she was one of my best partners in crime over there, so much so that I brought her over to Ring DNA with me. And then of course, like having someone like John Miller or just a great CMO uh type person who really is there just to just to like double check, you know, the checks and balances on, is this strategically the right thing that we want to do for the brand? Is this, mm. is this really on brand, right? It, does this tell the right story? So um, having, having someone like high level, not in the weeds, but definitely involved in the planning uh, is definitely uh, recommended. I definitely
1: find that very useful. Got it. Got does that answer it. Okay. your question? That does. That does answer the question perfectly. Now, before I ask my rapid questions, is there anything, is there anything that you think I didn't ask or you think it's going to be valuable for us to cover that I didn't touch on when it comes to research-based content creation? Do you, do you
2: want to talk about like research reports? Cause there the was,
1: okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, cool. Yeah. So I, I think, because I, I do think there's a lot of value in research reports these days, right? This is your, your own research that you're conducting and publishing. So at, at Engageo and at Demandbase and here at RingDNA now, like these are some of our best pieces of content because people want to know like, what, what is the state of IBM? Or what is the state of sales coaching? Because it's, it's always evolving. I want to know what the top companies are doing right now. So you know, I I recently just launched the our our state of sales coaching. We're still collecting uh, responses on those, but really, it's like it's um, the it's really going to help our our customers and our prospects figure out like what is what are those top companies doing, right? But in order to create something like that, a lot of it is like the questions matter a lot. So spend a lot of time on not only the questions, but the the responses, right? So the, what do they call it? Like the choices that they're picking from, that matters just as much as the question itself. And then as you're writing the questions, be thinking about the headlines that you're going to write. Like you'll probably have hypotheses on what people are probably going to answer. And then you can base a lot of your questions on the headline that you want to see, That was actually um, advice that someone gave me that came from a research firm who does all these day in and day out. She's like, as you're writing those questions, really be thinking about those headlines that you want to see that will support your story and that will support your product. And then I do think you really have to test those questions a lot with your own team, with people that you know in in your network. Before sending that out to a very broad audience, because they'll have different perspectives. They might interpret a question differently than you. And then when you get their responses, you can actually just start to see. So the, the, the way I did it was, um, you know, I'm the, the one question that I always ask is something along the lines of like, what's the return that you're getting from ABM or sales coaching? And then you can break out what are the top performers doing versus what are the low performers doing? And then once you start to get some of those initial responses, take a look at those early on and start to draw some conclusions from the data. I mean, it's going to obviously be an extremely small sample size, but it will tell you how you might need to adjust any other questions because like the way you asked it wasn't right, or maybe the... Uh, you didn't have all of the right responses, but, no, not responses like, but the answers lined up or whatever that might be. So like, like I'll, I'll give you one example. We, we had people stack rank things from one to 10, what you think is most important to least important. But the thing that I noticed early on was that the answers they submitted were in the same order that they showed up on their survey itself. So that told me that I should either randomize it because that's something that I didn't think of that they would just go ahead and just submit the answers as it showed up. Or maybe the question, a better question to ask is what are your top three choices here? Instead of just stack right straight stack rank. Maybe that's too much for someone to think about, but they can easily choose one, two, three. So that's what I ended up doing. Right. And that that gives me a lot better data.
1: Got it. Got it. Interesting. And, and, you know, how is how is your approach different? So actually, let me ask this. How do you go and and recruit the people that you want to talk to? Because this is, we're talking about a larger number now than, you know, the previous style of, of content, right? For this kind of reporting, how do you recruit the uh, the, the respondents? So th- this is,
2: a lot of our responses came through our email list. Yeah. And, you know, Everyone out there these days, it's like, and and there's a reason they do it, and this is what we do too. But it's like an incentive to complete the survey. So for individual reps, an incent, a better incentive for them is like get a ten, you know, get a chance at winning one of three hundred dollar gift cards or something like that, right? Like that's a good incentive for them. But if you have a manager who's filling it out, uh, a better incentive for them is something along the lines of, like you'll be the first one to get all this research so that you know how to best coach your team for top performance, right? They, they, they don't care so much about the money. They yeah. want to know how they can be doing their job better. So a lot of it is just building the right incentive to the right person. So we're not just blasting out the same message to anyone and everyone. It's for a message that gets in front of reps, let's incent them with some money Got for it. messages that get in front of managers. Let's incent them with them knowing, you know, uh, what actually works and what doesn't like they, they they're the first to get the results and then we we do things like in-app uh messages so that our customers actually see those and take those because we want their feedback too you know what we'll blast it out on social because we have a pretty active social media following stuff like that so and then i i, I honestly have no problem paying for those responses either so uh, like a survey monkey or qualtrics or whatever like you can actually pay for them to get you 50 responses right it'll be pretty expensive but i i don't see any downside in doing that i think the upside outweighs the downside got it
1: okay no that's awesome that's uh and i'm I'm glad you bring that up and it is you know research reports are a big thing now and, uh, and a lot of people are producing it okay Let's, uh, let's wrap it up with some rapid questions and, uh, and do that. All right. So what is, what is one resource? It could be a book, it could be a podcast. It could be a a blog, whatever it is that drastically changed the way you think and and live.
2: It's been a while since I read it, but I remember, I mean, I, I revisit it frequently, but it's influenced by Robert Cialdini, that book like so, when I first read that completely opened my mind to what sales and marketing could and should be. Love it. So I, I recommend that book to everyone. All right. Question number two,
1: if you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be?
2: So this is the advice I always give, but we, we, well, we already talked about it. Build that network. Like I do think having a good network of other really smart marketers is the best thing that you can do like short-term and long-term in your career.
1: Love it love it okay number three what are who are the influencers that uh, that you follow in the in the marketing and the sales space oh good question
2: one that I okay a few that I'm really into right now April dunford has the best content out there on positioning she has a book out there called obviously awesome it's it's a pretty awesome book um, there's Christopher Lockhead, who is kind of the godfather of category design. He's got an awesome newsletter called Category Pirates, and of course, if you haven't read his book, um, Play Bigger, that's a great one to go check out. Yeah, the, those those are really the the two that I've been following a
1: lot recently. Love it. All right, well, that's uh, those are the, the 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 three main questions. I love it, Brandon. Thank you so much, man. This was as always awesome to chat. There's plenty of insights that you dropped in the podcast. And, uh, and looking forward to the third one.
2: Absolutely. Anytime, man. You and I can just geek out about this stuff all day.
1: Amen. True, true. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Thanks, Shane.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash slack growth forward slash slack thanks again for all the support and we're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one